Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Track. Today, we continue our best of TOS series as we review season two, episode one of Star Trek, the original series, A Mock Time. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am doing great, man. I am here in the Ready Room recording studio and trying not to freeze to death. So say we all <laughs> as as what uh, crazy cold weather hits the, the southern region of the United States. And, and we ain't ready, just to be frank. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ever ready? No. Listen, mm. and just to, I mean, you think about places up north that goes through this a lot. Like, and here in Hattiesburg, like, there's no snow, there's no ice on the ground, but everything is closed down. Really? Everything. Schools are closed, restaurants are closed, businesses closed. Man. Like, there's more stuff closed today than there were at the shutdown for the pandemic. (laughs) Well, I saw somebody else uh, have a post, they're like, Y'all still want to get out here during the pandemic like ain't nothing wrong. Gotta make a way. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, man. Also the podcast tonight, we have Cal Jones. How are you doing, man? I think I'm about as froze as you two are, but I will say that we're a little bit further north, so I don't quite have as much sympathy for Jonathan as I would love to because it's colder up here, but I'm good. Yeah, me don't like cold. Me, me hate cold. That's no. <laughs> but anyway, um, so again, we are deep into our best of TOS series, which we have already reviewed. Balance of Terror, Space Seed, The City on the Edge Forever, and tonight, of course, Amok Time. And if you want to watch up, the next review is going to be The Doomsday Machine, Season 2, Episode 6. So if you want to watch up for the next review, you can check that out. So what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery and other series in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are currently listening on and, you know, to make sure you don't miss the episode. And we'd like to thank C2 Batman, who recently left us a review on iTunes, which states... I love how they discuss the old TOS episodes. It's kind of funny. Keep it up and keep it honest. Thank you so much, B2 Batman, for that review. And again, if any of you listening have uh, an iOS device, please go and leave us a review and rating on iTunes slash the podcast app as well. Next, we have some news from John in the in the Star Trek realm. So, John, take it away, man. All right. So, um, obviously, you guys know this is not a uh, how do they say a big news day or whatever? It's not a lot of trick news out, but there's a couple of things that kind of caught my attention that I thought I'd speak up on. Number one, and most excitingly, I hadn't tried it yet. And I'm sure you guys have heard, uh, Scopely, I'm not sure who that is, but they have created a browser based trick game called Kobayashi Maru. Hmm. It allows you the um, obviously, you know, I guess from us playing bridge crew, we tried that. And then from <laughs> different points in trick TV, we've seen this kind of played out to new commanding officers. It's an unwinnable scenario, usually played out on a holiday and try to test the decisions a captain makes in those trying times. So now you have that eight bit simulation as a browser based game that is free to play. Uh, the difference is this one actually has a small chance of winning. The odds of defeating the Kobayashi Maru are around one in 10,000. Wow. Wow. Now there is a prize for any F in the three fastest players to defeat the simulation will win prizes, including a CBS all access lifetime subscription and limited edition Star Trek collectibles. Cool. And actually, I'm on the site right now. Uh, you can go to KobayashiMaru.com, I believe, if I'm at the right place. Yep. And it seems to be like a, I haven't dove into it, but it has very much to throw back to the, um, you know, 
Sega Genesis, Super Mario type graphics um, on here. Um, So, yeah, seems interesting. I definitely (laughs) I didn't know about this. I'm definitely going to dive into it and check it out. (laughs) Hey, but it's worth a try if you can get a free lifetime subscription to CBS All Access. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't you mean Paramount Plus? That's what I was about to say. I wanted to make that joke. <laughs> we, we, uh, I'll, I'll wait to have your news over. We can talk about these old Paramount Plus commercials that have been going on for a second. Man, those have been awesome. <laughs> really? really? I loved them. Did I really want to see Spock dancing, you know, to... <laughs> Oh, my God. It, they have been kind of cool, but cringe at the same time. But I think Patrick Stewart was awesome. You know, I didn't realize it was his voice the whole time until we got to the very end. I did not either. That's cool. Yeah. Those are great, man. And they, they like banged you over the head with it during the Super Bowl, but they're still good. Hopefully, at least we get a better app out of it. But yeah, you know, Paramount Plus is coming in on March 5th, I believe. Oh, yeah. We got to prepare, man. Got to prepare. All right, and a couple of the news things. Um, so also Ethan Peck has arrived in Toronto to start his role in Strange New Worlds. Mm. So that's just a little little nibble, a little little bit of tasty treat to get excited about that new series. I'm excited to see where that stands. Yeah. Looks looks like we might get that before we even get the next Picard series, to be honest. Um Picard's kind of kept getting pushed back for some reason. Well, of course, due to COVID, but, you know. Actually, I think I've read that they have started production uh, recently. Uh, they kept getting pushed back, but they finally started production, I think. So I guess something is better than nothing, but we'll take it. As long as there's no more lower decks. <laughs> stop it. Stop <laughs> I it. I, I will. I will. I'll stop <laughs> All right. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to take up too much more time. I just want to throw this one more thing in here as far as the news section. Uh, so and I've came, I've said a couple of rumors here from this site and some of them has been true. Some of them have not a uh, giant freaking robot uh, website um, saying they have a source. Uh-oh. It's also the same person that told them Don Cheadle would appear in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, this same source says that. Captain Archer will have a cameo in Picard. <sighs> Don't know how they're going to pull it off, but we'll see. I saw this, man. I kind of honestly like bleeding. I think bleeding cool news and the inverse. I just kind of block those from my Google news <laughs> because they always have these theories. I don't I guess some of them are close, but they just take one little grain or nugget and speculate it out to something bigger just to get clicks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is real. I think it would be cool, but well, you know, at, at first I said that at first I thought that, uh, but then I've run into three or four other sites that are kind of commenting on this, which they're still uh, crediting giant freaking robot with the news. But I don't know, for some reason, these other sites are kind of taking a hold of it a little bit. But isn't that kind of the same thing where in, yeah. in, in that aspect, they're getting the click because that's getting the click, perhaps. True. Or it could be 100% true. And, and I will say due to um, the nature of Enterprise and the Temporal Wars, hey, it, it, it probably makes the most sense for him to pop up in other series than anybody else. Right. Hey, if we've had Kirk and Picard meet on some weird planet surface, then... Hey, anything can happen. A hundred percent. All right. Well, thanks for those that news and updates, John. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. And we'll go ahead and get right into our review of Star Trek TOS Amok Time from Wikipedia. Amok Time is the second season premiere episode of Star Trek. It was written by science fiction author Theodore Sturgeon, scored by Gerald Freed and directed by Joseph Pevney. It aired on September 15th, 1967. It's the only episode of the original series to depict scenes of the planet Vulcan and the first episode to use the Vulcan salute. In addition to being the first episode to air featuring Ensign Chekhov as the ship's navigator, it was also the first episode to list DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy in the opening credits. In the throes of his pun far mating period, 
Spock must return to Vulcan to meet his intended future wife, betrothed from childhood. So this is going to definitely have spoilers for this episode and possibly other series as we tie things into to, you know, how Kenan has uh, permeated out from this point. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. And with that, I'm going to throw to Cal Jones to give us the story beats of the episode. All right. So when I sat down to do this, I wanted to be really funny and have like a one comment and then let that be it. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I actually went through and did the story point. So you guys ready for it? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. I start by saying that I find it strange that even in the future and space afar, marriage is still quite arranged. A man of logic and emotions in check takes us all on an unexpected trek. Skies of red and bells that ring, made from budgets of old shaping the future we see. A core that is trek I was able to detect. It's often about friendship, loyalty, and respect. Tapring played the long game and never tipped her hand until the end as the victor she did land. I wanted to be clever, but I had to keep it true, even though I think this episode could be a song by two live crew. <laughs> oh, and there you have it, folks. Uh, Kyle has worked two live crew into his synopsis of the episode. <laughs> Mic drop. You, wow. my friend, win whatever award <laughs> shall be given. <laughs> you win podcasting, sir. <laughs> that was well, fun. Wow. Well, I don't know if Spock didn't get down much in this episode, even though he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. But, mm. but but still, it goes back to what I was saying. That, that, that does, that's the after that you're referring to. I'm talking about him. So with that said. Um, Jonathan Short, so we'll start with you. What are your overall thoughts on this episode? Well, let me open my comments by saying I uh, so I just finished uh, Enterprise, actually. So I decided what's next? And I said, I've been talking about it. I'm going to start TOS. So I've started TOS I'm on episode seven, I think. And so when we dis when we said we're going to talk about this episode, I watched this one. You know, it's growing on me. Oh, like, what? <laughs> I have gotten past the the visual. You know what I mean? Like the part we were saying that I was saying that just kind of is always there. It's just the visuals of it. I've gotten past that and I've started to really enjoy these episodes. That being said. This episode, I really enjoyed um, because the Vulcan culture has always intrigued me. Like, I like the concept. I want to know more. There's a mystery around it. There's a there's a, 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 a just a I don't know. It's like a sexiness to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just kind of I don't know. I just love the Vulcan culture and I love their their rituals and Lord, all of that. Yeah, I love all that. So that being said, I love this episode. We got a lot of uh, it, you got to dig into that relationship between Kirk and his first officer. So all that said, I really, really love this episode. Wow. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Cal Jones, what about you, man? So I enjoyed it, but for a different reason. I do acknowledge what Jonathan just said. Because this is one of the first times I think that I've actually liked Kirk, because I would think he is my least favorite of all the captains. Even though I know he's iconic, I like William Shatner, I've liked other roles, I have always found him a little bit to be nothing more than the playboy captain. And I know they are all that to some degree. That being said, I loved how they built on the relationship, and I actually felt the friendship between the two and this one. But what I liked about it most is this lays so much groundwork for what we see 
generations, and I'm talking about us watching generations later, we're watching the fruits of, of things that were planted in this episode. So I really enjoyed it. Had fun. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. This is definitely laying the groundwork for stuff we're going to talk about years and years from now, forward and trick lore. Um, it also um, has some great moments between our principal characters, which is kind of it's kind of the bread and butter of TOS to me. It's just like these characters interacting with it, with each other. I do really love the points of conflict in this episode. It it seemed like everything really had stakes. You know, there were at least two, there were at least two points in the episode where there was a impossible choice that was given, and we still got to a resolution that satisfied, you know, all parties. <laughs> so, man, just a lot of good story writing points of conflict in this uh, character moments, and again, like like you said, just establish establishing lore. Um, you know, they're saying things in this episode that are just going to be core to years and years from now. And, you know, this is the inception of that. So I really love seeing all that and just, just a good story, man. And wow, man, the betrayal, the betrayal. Ooh, I kind of see this episode and I got five parts written down and we'll kind of go through each of them. Well, you would try to take this review as, as free form as possible, but I have, I have first, I have Spock's outburst. Then I have the detour of the Vulcan. I have the Kun Ut Kal Itfi, which I'm saying that wrong, probably. The betrayal and then happy endings. So that's kind of how I broke down the episode. But let's get right into it up top with Spock's outbursts. McCoy tells Kirk that Spock has been acting strange. He's becoming restless and nervous, and he's also, you know, not eating much. Bones also mentions that Spock pretty much threatened to break his neck. <laughs> <laughs> when he told <laughs> when he told him it's time for a checkup, wasn't that threat? No, wasn't that threat? I found the most interesting part. He made that threat, but it was so freaking logical. <laughs> like if I was on the receiving end of that threat, I'd be like, y- you know, you're right. <laughs> oh man, and, and you got to think how crazy that is to see. Think of what Vulcan is. I think that's what makes when they act. And when I said they Vulcans, when Vulcans act out of their nature, it it just seems so weird and crazy because they're always the most reserved, a.k.a. logical people on the ship. And we're from the jump here seeing where, you know, Spock is kind of acting strange, you know, (laughs) man. And and just the comedy in this episode was just (laughs) Yeah. Like, I found myself laughing more than anything throughout this episode. <laughs> well, let, let, let's talk a bit about what I figure is probably the first part that made me raise an eye, in addition to, you know, Spock saying he's going to break break uh, Bones' neck. But but Nurse Chapel comes with the Vulcan uh, plumbing soup, and she goes to Spock's <laughs> corner. <laughs> Thoughts on this scene, I guess. And we could talk about, you know, just the first opening parts here. Um, I kind of do want to dive into your thoughts on uh, Nurse Christine Chapel. Do you guys know who that actor is behind Nurse Chapel? I do not. I think I do. Isn't she uh, uh, Deanna Troy's mother? Yes. Yes. The the act- actor is Major Barrett Roddenberry. Jean Barton. Uh-huh. She was also number one. She was also Loxana Troy. Um, like you just said, Cal. Um, and yeah, yeah, she was Nurse Chapel on TOS. I had forgotten she was also the original number one. So you know what? That is a testament to the current first number one, uh, because when you when you said number one, I pictured her. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca Romaine? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, she's also the voice of the computer in later uh, series. I think all the 90s, 80s, 90s series, yep. she was the voice of the computer as well. That's pretty cool. But but what I do find uh, cool about this is, and John, since you're you're going through TOS right now, you'll see in a lot of episodes, she actually hints at liking Spock. And this is just like, I think, another instance of that where she's kind of, she's taking him to this, this soup. She kind of likes him. So... 
I'll come back to that a little bit later because I want to ask, do you think she might have been the solution to Spock's situation? <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get in that just a little bit later. But I'll say this. I do like how her character in this series is kind of the polar opposite of her character in other series. Where in here, here, well, I guess it might be the same because here she's chasing out the Spock in the other series. She's chasing out the, uh, um, um, Captain Picard and also, uh, Odo, um, in a similar <laughs> fashion. Maybe not as aggressive, but. That's what I was going to say. She was much more reserved here. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. So as I mentioned, Spock goes ham, um, throwing out an outburst of emotion at the fact that the nurses brought him soup. Requesting an immediate leave of absence on his home planet of Vulcan. So, uh, John, uh, initially watching this, I'm pretty sure you, you knew what was going on with Spock. And basically, I want to kind of get your impressions on. Um, well, first, I'll just ask you, what is Pomfar from your knowledge of other series? <laughs> so, Pomfar, Vulcans, they mate, and I don't remember the timeline, but it's like, once every six years, I think it is. And it and actually I heard you will get later on in the episode, you get Spock kind of describing it to Kirk in the best way he could. And he explained it. You know, it's basically like a lot of the creatures we have on Earth, like Salmon having to return to the specific part of the water that they spawned the first time. But it's basically a strong, strong sexual urge at, that can only be remedied by a return to their home planet to mate with the person that they were chosen to marry. Uh, but this urge is so strong that it breaks whatever control that Vulcans have over their emotions. And if you know anything about Vulcans, you know that even though they're the most emotionless characters in Trek, their actual emotions unchecked are extreme. So, you know, you think anger is bad. See a Vulcan that can't control his emotions <laughs> get angry. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like this is terrible. So like they love strong, they hate strong, they anger strong. They control all of that through meditation and control their mind. But man, when they want to, when they want to have sex, well, they just lose control of everything else. <laughs> So basically, pump far as they lost control of their emotions because of their desire to mate. Now, I want to ask you, um, you know, canonically, Enterprise comes before this. And up until this point, you know, this is all we got. This is the inception. Does does pump far get explored any in uh, Star Trek Enterprise that you can Absolutely. remember? Uh, like I said, I just finished a rewatch of the series. So uh, our resident Vulcan on Enterprise, Mr. Paul. Uh, is going, goes through it and it's not really planned. She shouldn't be going through it. And it kind of seems like, I think other than Spock throughout Trick, I think every time we've seen Pumfar has been like brought on accidentally through some kind of interference with their emotions or their meditation. But on Enterprise, Topal had a unwelcome mind mail with this outlying group of Vulcans that believe that believe melding was the, was the way. Uh, so it brought on her pun far even sooner. And that's kind of how we developed a relationship between her and Trip Tucker, because she was kind of <laughs> wanting him to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, Cal Jones, do you know any other instances, maybe in Voyager, where we had a similar incident? Yes, what I was about to say, I thought that happened to Tuvok, too, didn't it? Yes, I believe so. And isn't it that episode where he's crying in the mess hall? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it really, really good episode. And I think, you know, I do like the various different ways it's been resolved. I mean, in, in this episode, they're kind of saying you have to go back home. To resolve it and it's kind of resolved with either marriage or a fight. And I want to, I want to ask you guys, and, and maybe this is more directed to Kyle. Do you think the exploration of the, the very, um, private nature of what Palm Far was, do you think that was kind of a result of, you know, them introducing this in the 1960s, I mean, like, oh, that would be a good story point. We don't talk about sex in real life. Maybe we can make that a 
a a a a very important nature of of this Vulcan people not wanting to discuss this very natural thing. So if you go at it from the perspective of sometimes Trek is ahead of its time, I think you're a hundred percent right because you look at the seventies and this would fit right into the seventies because you know everything is so different from the sixties and the seventies literally and and regards to attitudes and um, everything about sex, the way things are just embraced in the 70s, kind of not so much in the 60s. Maybe it truly was, in a way, some type of dialogue that they wanted to have to bring, stop being a little bit so repressed. I will say the only thing that I didn't like was the analogy of the fish and salmon and spawning. I don't want to see Vulcans as a, and because it, to me, it made it sound like that it gave an animalistic to it. And I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like that. You couldn't control your urge to go back to your planet, you know, that it was something that you couldn't control. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying I didn't quite like that explanation. Yeah, but but although I think that's exactly what it is, and maybe John is going to elaborate a little bit. Well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say that that's kind of the point. Like, you you kind of get it. You can, It's kind of lost on you because of how much control that they have over their emotions. But when you take that mental control away, they really are animals. And they've said so on many occasions, like the primitive Vulcan were worse than the Klingons. Like yep. as far as their emotions and their ruthlessness and their just animalistic behavior, that's that's just how Vulcans are. And they but, control but, but, but that let through me clarify, meditation. But let me clarify what my problem was. My problem wasn't with the fact that they lost control. My problem wasn't with the fact that they needed to do what they needed to do. That's not my problem in the least. My problem was the explanation of comparing him to a fish. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. I got you. But, you know, uh, and kind of to touch back on your point, on your question, Clarence, about, you know, maybe they're wanting to kind of touch on sex because it wasn't really spoken about. But you kind of notice through TOS, like, just the way women are objectified the way Kirk approaches women, like they may not have said it, but it was a lot of it. Yeah. 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 It really was. It really was. Go even to look at the, the different costumes or, you know, things that they put them in. The women barely have anything but a top on. I mean, the dress is such a mini skirt that it's just basically <laughs> a top. Right. It's a long t-shirt. We, we 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 rectify that in uh, TNG where the men wear dresses too. Oh to gosh! <laughs> but, Listen, but, if there's one uniform I absolutely hate, <laughs> was the TNG dress uniforms that killed me. Yeah, it seems like it didn't last per, fa- past the first season. But yeah, you're right. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, and and you know I I love this whole tug of war that we kind of have of. Spock being extra private, extra reserved. I do think in light of, as John mentioned, what happens in Enterprise, maybe Starfleet slash the Federation to know a little bit more about what's going on. You know what I mean? But that being said, I do love the tug of war between Kirk and, and Spock and McCoy and Spock trying to get out this information from them. And then we have a uh, poor, poor Chekhov doesn't know where they're going. He's changing directions. <laughs> Spock is went behind <laughs> Kirk's back when he's asleep and, and changed course for Vulcan. So I think all of that was, was fun and cool. And it was good. It was interesting to see how, you know, they kind of had a tag team and how Kirk and both uh, bones were able to eventually, eventually get, some some of this vital information out of Spock. <laughs> it, that was hilarious. The whole change in course <laughs> took off. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. That was yeah, pretty I, good. I think Bones finally says, come on, Spock. Yield to the logic of the situation. <laughs> and he eventually <laughs> gets him on the table. Um, which, which, really, really, really good stuff. 
There is something new that I've never seen in a Pumfar situation, and that was with Spock's order to head back to Vulcan. Yeah. And he says he did not remember it. And yeah. I haven't seen that happen with any Vulcan through Trek that, you know, they like do things unconsciously. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. But I guess we had to look at other cases of Palm Far going crazy and see. The worst case I know of was the uh, it was another case on Voyager. And I forget the ensign's name. Uh, it was the Vulcan that was in engineering with Bellana. Yeah, he liked Bellana. Well, he was trying to mate with Bellana. Yeah. yeah. And he, he like really lost it because he wasn't really in control of his emotions that well to start with. But even then, he still remembered what he was doing. But look at all of the real world scenarios where you have people who do things and where they say, okay, well, I don't remember killing this person because it was in a fit of rage or it was, you know, in temporary insanity. Anytime an emotion is so heightened, if we're using this in the real world as a criminal defense, then, you know, just as rage, happiness, and for Spock, the feeling that he was having, such as an intense feeling as it was, then that to me explains how he couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. And Bones, even, you know, when he goes to Kirk and demands that they, we got to get Spock the Vulcan, you know, otherwise he'll die. You know, he's saying that Spock has this imbalance of body functions. You know, if it hasn't stopped soon, the physical and emotional pressures will, will eventually kill him. So he, he's going through something. He's really going through something. <laughs> One part I found particularly creepy, speaking of Spock, I, I just was just creeped out by this scene. And I know he met her and they were betrothed when they were like 12 or something, maybe. But we see Spock in his quarters looking at the picture of the little girl. <laughs> you know, me in my head knowing what's needed as a cure for the situation. It just felt very creepy. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It did. I was like, oh, because I... <laughs> You know that the thought that hey this was he was betrothed when he was young that didn't cross my mind at first. So when I looked at it, I was like, man, you are not that desperate. <laughs> like I didn't know if it was like Vulcan porn or something. Stop. It's like don't do it, Spock. Don't do it. <laughs> you got the nurse right here. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it did seem like. Um, Nurse Chapel was going to be the solution to the situation. Um, but sort of like in, I mean, I'm kind of related to um, Tuvok's case where he, he is, spoilers, I think he resolved the situation in the holodeck. Um, I don't think <laughs> Spock was willing to resolve a situation other than the preordained joining in marriage with Taping. And, you know, I don't think Tuvok would have been okay with a holodeck but they were 70,000 light years right. from home. So returning home was not an option. And yeah. the logic in his brain is he didn't have that compulsion because th there's no getting there. So logically right. and realistically, he knows I I've got to find a substitute. Galactic Empire, hyperspace, positronic brains, androids. These ideas developed decades earlier than you might think, and they are the legacy of one man, Isaac Asimov. I'm Jason Stark, host of Galaxy. Join me, along with my friends Stephanie and Jacob Yunker, as we dive into the novels and stories of one of the greatest sci-fi authors of all time. From iRobot to Foundation to the Caves of Steel and beyond, we explore the narratives, the meanings, and the legacy one book at a time. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and visit galaxypodcast.com. You know, um, I, th I found it interesting that, that uh, Kirk said Spock has been called the best first officer in Starfleet. I don't know if I've heard that before. Uh, we assume it because we, you know, we know this character, but I don't know if I've ever heard that stated before other than this episode. But um, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, they're so private about the situation. So, and the question was asked, how do Vulcans choose their mates? Logically, no. And this is what we, I guess we alluded to earlier. Shielded in ritual and shrouded in antiquity. A madness, pun far. 
a time of mating. <laughs> Again, Spock, like you said, Cal compares it to Salmon, which is kind of weird. And um, driven by forces they cannot control to return home and take a wife or die. So, oh, my one of the other my favorite parts of the episode. So speaking of said computer that he was watching a little girl on, <laughs> you hear a calls to Spock uh, <laughs> in his quarters. <laughs> And he yells, let me alone! It <laughs> <laughs> bashes the computer. It was so great because oh. the computer is like a bunch of cardboard when he smashed it. But oh man, <laughs> I loved that moment. I loved it. So who was called? Who? What, what was the message? Did we ever find that out? Do you think it was Vulcan? Yeah, I don't know if we got the message, but uh, it may have just been an excuse for Spock to bash the computer. Because I, I don't remember <laughs> what the message was. <laughs> They never said it. She just says you have income and transmission. Oh, man. And, you know, as I mentioned before, this whole episode is like a tug of war. Um, John, in particular, you like, what do you think of Kirk defying his orders over his loyalty to Spock? Um, I, I loved it. I loved it. And that's exactly what I expected Kirk to do. Uh, not only because that's kind of Kirk. I mean, that's kind of why he was a great captain to begin with. But also, throughout different series, you always see the captain defy orders from Starfleet when they think that either part of their, one of their crew or some of their crew or all of their crew are in danger or need something or something is important enough to the mission that Starfleet doesn't understand. They'll defy those orders. But either way, and we spoke about this, like kind of the reason why Saru didn't make a great captain. Is because he couldn't cross that line. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that Kirk did that, I, I mean, I, that was a great moment for me. I was like, oh, yeah, that that's it. Screw Starfleet, man. I'm, go take <laughs> care of your buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah, that that loyalty to Fred. I just got to love it. Mm-hmm. And the and the favorite part, you know, he said, Spock saved my, he saved my life 10 times over. Wow. You know, at least I can do is defy orders to get him where he needs to go. Like that just kind of solidified their friendship. That's, you know, in my opening statement, I spoke about like exploring the bond between Spock and Kirk. Like that really set the tone for their friendship. See, I want to comment on something that Jonathan just said. Jonathan said that this is what Kirk does. And while that is a hundred percent true, at the point when this was airing, this is what Kirk was doing, you know, because he had not done it yet. And I think that is the true beauty of what it is, is because, again, it's setting the stage for all these other captains to mirror and mimic that. So we're seeing this play out if we're watching it in the 60s in real time as he's doing it. And I think that's cool. Yeah. 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 So so we finally get the Vulcan and. We see T'Pring, uh, or Spock, it is I, you know, for the first time on screen. And Spock kind of describes the patrol, betrothal, if I'm saying that right. He describes it as less than a marriage and more than a betrothal. Um, their minds were locked at a very young age to be drawn together at the appropriate time. So Spock, Kirk, McCoy beam down, you know, to the, to the Vulcan ritual known as the Kun, Cal Ife, which I'm probably saying wrong, excuse me there, or marriage or challenge. You know, I found that interesting when Kirk explained it that way, because I initially not thought that challenge was part of it. I thought it's merely as marriage, but we'll soon get the full detail on that (laughs) marriage or challenge piece. So we do see the challenge part in a couple of different episodes as well. Uh, I think uh, the other Vulcan on Voyager, you know, his obsession with Bellana, uh was resolved through a challenge, which he had to he had to fight Bellana actually. So that that was fixed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and that's something you don't want to do: fight Bellana. No, especially when she was going through her cleaner version yeah, of Punvar. That <laughs> like she wanted Tom Paris, and he was in the way, and she was gonna kill him. <laughs> You know, think about this. We're not going to be happy in the morning. We need to, you know, I don't want to be mad about this decision. <laughs> oh, Tom. Don't let down. You should have took <laughs> I'm just doing this to help. 
This is my civic duty. <laughs> Starfleet demands it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But but when we get the Vulcan real quick, and I'm not sure if this is a because we know what we're watching on CBS All Access, and I think even on Netflix are the remastered versions. And I'm wondering if these these visuals of the landscape of Vulcan, you know, these pullback wide angle landscape views. I'm wondering is that new? It kind of looks like it could have been added. But what what do the guys think of the visuals of the Vulcan landscape? Very red skies. you know i didn't really pay much attention to it and that's because like i said i've kind of put that aside to watch this series and now that i'm getting into the characters and story i've just kind of had to make myself be okay with the visuals so i don't even judge them anymore yeah yeah i really love that pullback view of Vulcan. i thought it looked fantastic but again I, i think that was added in the remasters because it seems like it's me- immediately when you get into the little arena there, it does change back to the, you know, of course, the older visual look. Oh, yes. I just looked that up on trekmovie.com. And yes, there are um, remastered images of uh, what it looked like before and what it looks like now. So, yes, those were definitely remastered. Awesome. And, and, they're, and they're talking about a mock time that I'm reading. So, yes, they were definitely redone. And I'll send you guys the link. Awesome. We'll add this to the show notes. So once we get down to Vulcan, we see Tapaw, who is a Vulcan who turned down a seat at the Federation Council and is officiating the wedding proceeding. And we do see um, the Vulcan salute between her and Spock. And again, this is the first time we see that, which is great. But the first time being a Vulcan again, which is great. So I, I really enjoyed all that. And, and just the respect that Kirk has for Tapa because she is, you know, so regarded and turned down this Federation seat. And also we see a little later in the episode when, you know, Kirk did defy orders to get here. It's her who sends a message to the Admiral over that proceeding and says, hey, Kirk is doing something for me. It's fine. You know, <laughs> and he actually changed the orders for, for Kirk and got him out of that jam, which I thought was pretty cool. So, Clarence, do you also know why she is so important? I have no idea. No idea. Is she on another series? So, yes. Uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I just finished Enterprise. Uh, in some, the last few episodes of Enterprise season four, uh, we see T'Pol. So you remember the, uh, embassy bombing that killed Admiral Garner on Enterprise? Yes. Okay, so that, you know, at that time when when humans first started their warp travels through space, the very first Enterprise in X01, it was kind of overseen by the Vulcan High Command. Uh, the High Command pretty much ran all of these. This is pretty much the government in Vulcan. Well, they also kind of controlled Earth's advances through space. And... The Vulcan High Command blamed the, and they kind of set it up so, they blamed that bombing on a group of Vulcans called Cyrenites. The Cyrenites believed that Sirach, which was a really, really old Vulcan, uh, pretty much at the time when Vulcans were not controlling their emotions, uh, there was like a major, major war that lasted for like a 100 years on Vulcan, killed a lot of Vulcans. Uh, Sorak kind of brought about a time of peace by controlling emotions and embracing logic. Well, certain things Sorak taught were kind of omitted from history so that the high command could kind of get a control of the people. Well, Syrianites believe that they re- needed to go back to the original Sorak teachings and to Paul was the well, she became the de facto leader of this group who eventually took the original teachings of Sarat back to the high command, exposed it to the people and pretty much dismantled the high command. So Paul then took over the government of Vulcan, which then freed Earth to be their own entity in space, which in turn helped create oh, the Federation. That is so freaking cool. 
How did I not know that? So without her, so the very first Federation mission was when they had that, the Romulans had that little ship that camouflaged and they were trying to start a war between these different Andorians and Tellarites and humans. Like in order to find this camouflage ship, Jonathan Archer came up with this idea. If we get enough ships to cast this sensor net, we can catch this ship. But they needed at least 20 ships from each, from Tellarites, from Andoria, Earth, Vulcan. Well, Earth didn't have that many ships. And because T'Pol took over that government, she provided those 20 ships, which allowed them to catch this ship. And they all gathered together to do that. So the first Federation speech members were... Andorians, Tellarites, Vulcans, and Earth. Wow. That, dude, that is so freaking cool. You, like, sparked my interest. I'm going to read it as you talk. It is, <laughs> she's really effing important. Yeah. And she was really cool on Enterprise. Like, I love that character and that actor. She was mentioned on TNG for, in, during Unification 1 and 2. Um, yep. and she is shown on, Voyager episode Darkling, where the doctor is conducting oh, interviews yeah. of historical figures. Yeah, when he wow. was on the holodeck trying to advance his uh, programming, the people he so chose funny. from was like Einstein, Gandhi, and T'Pol. He said T'Pol was a perfect example of logic. Wow. Okay, I, I want to go back and watch all those episodes again. That's so <laughs> freaking cool, man. <laughs> To Paul for the win, man. It, uh, <laughs> That's another reason why I love this episode. Wow. So this is kind of where the episode takes another turn. Uh, is instead of marriage, Tapring chooses the challenge, choosing Kirk as her champion. Now I know we eventually get the the resolution, but what the heck, man? What what the heck, Kyle? Did you what did you think was going on there when she chose? Kirk as her champion for this ritual. To be honest with you, I didn't really have any thought. I just felt like it was a twist as in I had no clue. And I know that's not a very good answer, but I literally had no clue. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the perfect answer because that's kind of what happened to Kirk. You know, he isn't, you know, uh, researched in all of the Vulcan rituals. And we see he makes a huge mistake. In taking the challenge, which I don't think he had much of a choice because since he said, I'm going to participate in the ritual, then he gets named and look on his face is like, well, really, really me? Um, but we see where he has to fight Spock in this ritual now since, you know, he's wanted to participate and, <laughs> you know, he's all ready to go. But then it's revealed that it's a fight to the death. So I'm wondering, and maybe you guys can help me out. I'm wondering, did Spock choose not to tell Kirk that it was a fight to the death because he thought his chances were good to beat him versus the other guy? Or why wouldn't he just tell him it's a fight to the death? Don't uh, you don't want to do this because he mentions it to T'Pol, but he never says it to Kirk himself. I think Mm -hmm. logic falls out the window there in your question. And that's the reason for that is. There is no logic there because he's not in his right mind. So we could speculate as to why he might. But if you look at it from the character's state of mind cowering over in the corner, which I still think is odd visual if he is in the state of mind that he's supposed to be in, cowering in the corner seems a odd visual. But that being said, I, I can't wrap my head around it because there is no logic there. Well, I kind of took it as maybe it was his logic. Like, I think Spock's, it's very important to Spock to follow ritual. And he knew, like, the reason he brought it up to to Paul and he said as much was, you have the power to stop this, basically. That wasn't his exact words. Uh, But when she would not, then there were no other options. And I felt like if he would have told Kirk that, Kurt would have not participated, which then would have negated the ritual altogether. Yeah. And he has a need. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this, John. Um, in addition to find out the earth on the air on Vulcan is pretty thin. We also, uh, I, I also had the impression and, you know, again, help me out. Aren't Vulcans like twice as strong as humans in the established canon now? Yes. Uh, so why would Kirk have a chance? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. And that, that kind of bothered me because, you know, Kirk is like, I'll just knock him out. I'm like, it's a Vulcan. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, going oh. through Palm Far. Like, <laughs> yeah. Granite Spock is half human. So maybe that's the out there. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been a time where Spock has shown that kind of strength either. Yeah, you're right. So, Kyle, um, what is your impression? And you did mention this earlier, but what is your impression of the um, of the characterization of women in this episode? Uh, and, and, and in particular to Pring, because I do feel at first I thought, oh, they're using her like a possession. But by the time we get to the end of the episode, I feel like she has all the power. So it's just just kind of your impressions on that. And, and, and again, I think I've said this before in this episode, but it's appropriate, so I'm going to say it again, which is that's the beauty of this episode. It does present as the arranged marriage possession. She has no choice. But the beauty is she's playing a chess game, and all the men literally are her playthings. They are nothing more <laughs> than the knights and the rooks and the whatever on the board, and she is calculating so that no matter which male she turns over, she comes out literally as the winner. And I think as, as if you're looking at it from turning it from she's in a arranged marriage, she has no choice, to she being the ultimate decider, I think is back in the 60s to another question you asked me, you know, about is this encouraging the audience to look at the norms and break them? I think this is another example of that. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I kind of want somebody to like take a picture to bring and like take the Mortal Kombat font and do like flawless logic at the top because (laughs) she was like moving some chess pieces, man. Can I add, when she came up on the view screen, I was like, wow. (laughs) Now I see why Spock is acting that way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. She is freaking beautiful, man. And she is portrayed by Arlene Martel. Yeah, which I don't know if I've known anything she's been on. Uh, She unfortunately passed away in 2014. But yeah, yeah, she is quite the beautiful Vulcan lady, if I might say so myself. <laughs> Let's see. She has appeared in, and Clarence, you may have seen her in something that I know that you are a big fan of, which is the original Twilight Zone. She okay. was in the episode, What You Need as a Woman in the Bar. The second was the episode 22 as a nurse who repeatedly utters the sinister phrase, room for one more, honey. Wait, she was oh. I dream. Wait, she's not I Dream of Genie, is she? No, no, no. She's no. not Barbara Eden. She was on there, though. No, no, no. The I... Twilight Zone. No, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking. She was on I Dream of Genie. I'm intrigued now. <laughs> I, I'm trying to see. So where was she that other Vulcan that wanted her? <laughs> <laughs> She is mine. Yo, boy. Oh, she was a female cosmonaut in the show. Got you. So maybe she was only on one episode. But yeah, yeah, she was indeed a a very, very beautiful lady. And I was awestruck myself, uh, Judd, just to be honest. And just to go through her logic really quick. So if Kirk had won, he wouldn't want her. Then she would have stun. If Spock had won, as he did, he would not want her either because of the challenge. Then she would still have stun. If Spock had won and still wanted her, she would get his name and his property. Then Spock would have to leave back to Starfleet for his duty and she would still have stun. So she was playing those freaking chess pieces, man. It was so good. <laughs> but I did kind of say in the back of my head, you trifling. Mm. <laughs> How dare you? So the question you posed to Kyle earlier, you know, what what were her thoughts when she chose Kirk? Like initially, because, you know, when she's introducing when T'Pol is talking to Kirk and Bones, you know, she kind of looks at Kirk. And I'm, at that moment, then when she chose him, I'm like, man, she really wants Kirk. Yeah. Like, I thought she was kind of like interested in him because, I mean, most most women <laughs> are interested yeah. in Kirk. But Max. it really threw me a surprise to hear that logic, though. Yeah, so so good. And, and, you know, again, to what Kyle just said, like playing those chess pieces, 
you know, in a moment where from the from the onset, it seems like, you know, this woman is being used as an object. She's like, I'm not having that. I'm going to run stuff behind the scenes. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> make Spock do what I want because I'm alone with this other dude. Just really, really good stuff. So we get the fight where Kirk and Spock fight, of course. And, you know, we mentioned, you know, maybe Spock should be a little bit stronger. And Kirk is having trouble fighting because of the air. And, you know, this is an impossible decision for our principal characters. They have to fight each other to the death. But, man. You have to love this freaking resolution, man. And I did not, you know, I've seen this episode several times, but the first time I watched it, man, I did not see that coming at all. Brilliant. I just want to give uh, Dr. McCoy a hand clap. Just perfect uh, deception there to just say, oh, it's something so we can breathe a little bit better. But man, planning three steps ahead, you know, <laughs> with his own little bit of chest. <laughs> just great stuff. You know, credit to the continuation of this franchise through the years, like and for me watching backwards. So I, I'm up until now, I've never seen it a lot of TOS. But in this instance, especially when Bones asked to go give him treatment for the low oxygen, like I immediately thought that was something that was going to be able to like fake his death. And the reason I assume that off the bat is because we've seen this situation a few times yep. in trail yep. and that's always been the resolution we can simulate death and bring them back yep, yep. and that so i immediately but i mean if you started with tos and you'd never watched anything else you wouldn't have thought that going forward yeah it's it's definitely a trope that's been used several times in other series <laughs> um, to great effect and you know this may be the first time we actually saw it just great stuff man great stuff and um you know Spock truly believes he has killed Kirk. I mean, when he's talking to 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 Paul, um, and and he he tells her, um, you know, well, we see the scene where Bones, you know, is now the commanding. I mean, Bones tells Spock he's now the commanding officer. You know, what are what are your orders? But at the very end, when he's talking to to, to Paul, he says, uh, you know, I shall do neither. I've killed my captain and my friend, you know, and he's ready to go to the nearest star base and get charged and get, you know, lose his command and all the other good stuff. So, yeah, the deception was good enough to not only fool to paw and everybody at the rich ritual, but also to to trick Spock himself, which I thought was just good stuff. man. So well, what happens going forward? Like, I'm sure to Paul hear that Kirk is still alive. Interesting, but. Maybe she was fine with the resolution, too. I don't know. I don't know if we ever re revisit this again. Not that I know of. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we ever revisit, revisit the results of of what happens here. And, you know, I do find it interesting as well that we don't see Sarek. We don't see uh, Amanda Grayson in this episode at all, which, you know, granted, that's fine. But it seems like they would have been in his betrothal or wedding slash ritual. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. we didn't see them. So, you know, uh Stuff that came later, but it was kind of weird to not see them there. Though we do know from other Trek canon that Spock and um, Sarek had a falling out. Um, so maybe that's the reason they're not, he's not there. But I love what Spock tells Stun. <laughs> it's just good. I mean, so much good writing in this episode. <laughs> he, he's like, Stun, she is yours. At a time, you may find that having is not so pleasant a thing after all is... is after all, as wanting is not logical, but is often true. So, you know, he says you want her, but maybe eh, you find that she's not so pleasant once she's in your arm. So great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like snap back, snap. Back. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we'll stop it right there and ask, leave it open to you guys. If there's anything else we didn't talk about that you want to bring up, um, now's the time to do so. Oh, yes. There was a big thing that we didn't bring up. So when Spock gets back to the ship and he goes to the sick bay and he's talking oh. to Bones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he keeps trying to tell him that Kirk is alive and he won't he won't let him interrupt. <laughs> and he, he sees him, he's like, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most emotion you'll see out of Spock. He was so happy. He was. It was awesome. And then he tried to hide the fact that he had he had an emotional outburst. 
And you know, you know, Bones is not going to let that drop. He's going to rub it in and keep bringing it up. It's so good. That was so awesome. freaking good, man. Yeah, it's all about these characters, man. It's such a good combination and the, the, the tug of war between all of them. I just, I really love this episode and it was slow in some parts, but I think if you were diving into the overall experience, it, it was just a fun time. Um, and again, this is one that's considered by man to be one of the best episodes of TOS as well. And with that said, we will go around a horn and get everybody's ratings. And I'll start with you, Kyle Jones. What, what is your rating of this episode, man? So I'm going to easily give this, you know what? I'm going to give it a five because oh, I, wow. I actually have nothing bad that I could say about this episode. So um, I enjoyed it. And I think for the historical purposes alone, for the first, first, first of all these firsts that we see, I'm going to give it a five easily. Awesome sauce. What about you, John? Uh, well, Kyle, sir, your logic is impeccable. Thank you, sir. I am <laughs> going to have to agree with you. There is nothing bad I can say about this episode. And saying that, it's logical that I give it a five. Yeah. And since that logic is so flawlessly logical, I will be right there with you two. And I will give it a five as well. Enjoy the heck out of it, man. Just these characters are, like John said, they just grow on you. They grow on you more and more. And just you really appreciate how good the writing is uh, for for these episodes and the tug of war of the different challenges and the possible decisions that our characters get throughout. Just great stuff. Great stuff. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, guys, what have you been working on podcast related or otherwise or watching that you want to shout out? Now you have the time to shout that out and let us know. And we'll start with you, John. Uh, so there's a movie on Netflix that I started uh, this evening and I have to go back and finish it here in a bit. And it's been kind of a buzz on Netflix. It's a Korean sci-fi movie, sci-fi mystery action movie called Space Sweepers. It is pretty good. It is pretty good. I, I advise everybody to give it a watch. Um, probably got about 30 more minutes before it ends, and I just can't wait to get back into it. Uh, and also for those who hopefully are listening to our podcast and love podcasting, uh, the Joe Rogan podcast is a popular one. And he just had a recent episode with Mr. Elon Musk. Now, he's had Elon on. He's had him on like this the third time, but this is. This was a really interesting conversation. It's a three hour conversation and they cover a myriad of things, but it's a definitely worth the three hour listen. Uh, Elon Musk has a awesome mind, like yeah. and a great sense of humor. <laughs> and there's a freedom to what he says and how he says things. And, you know, it's kind of like you can tell he has that. Well, I don't know. I mean, you would t take it as like he has that freedom because he's rich and really doesn't care. But really, he just has that freedom to say. Th I don't know how to explain it. Just listen to him, man. It is awesome. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Cal Jones, do you have anything? Oh, absolutely. I have something. And it's something that I have found myself getting up very early on Friday mornings and watching over the last couple of weeks. And if anyone has Disney Plus, I highly, 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 highly recommend and encourage you to go out and watch WandaVision because I think this is going to have such a big impact on Marvel movies going forward. And as a comic book reader from the 80s, I am geeking out over it. <laughs> uh, yes, WandaVision. Go watch it. It's awesome. Awesome. So that's WandaVision from Kyle. That's Space Sweepers, a Netflix film from John, as well as the Joe Rogan podcast, and in particular episode featuring Elon Musk. And I will say, if you're into Space Sweepers, which I have not watched, but I am intrigued now that John has mentioned it, I would say watch a Korean zombie film, which is one of my favorite Korean films of all time. And that's going to be a movie called Train to Busan. And that is the Korean take on zombies is really good, really good. And you know, a lot of people said maybe one of the best zombie movies out there. But check it out. It's really good. 
And that is pretty much all I have. I want to thank everyone that's listening. And, you know, we always ask the best way you can help out the show is to subscribe. And also, if you're on iOS, give us a rating that really helps us get get discovered. We really appreciate the people that have done it so far. If you want to hit us up for any reason, it's at Discussing Trek on all of the social medias. Or you can send us an email to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. And with that said, guys, thank you for joining us once again. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe.